Well, it's good to be here this morning. Really good to be talking to you. Really good to be talking to you about the Lord. Um, good to have all these blue shirts out here. It's like this ocean of blue out here. And um, <clears throat> it makes me think about friends of ours are part of a uh, brethren assembly. And their tradition is on Sunday nights, they have, I forget the exact name of it, gospel hour, gospel night, something or another. <clears throat> but what they do is they spend an hour and they just savor the gospel. They retell parts of the story. They just enjoy with one another. So if there's somebody there who doesn't believe, that person's going to get a big dose of the gospel. But it's not just for that. It's for them to savor what God has done for him. And so I'm glad that you guys are all here because all week you're going to be going out. You're going to be sharing the gospel with a bunch of little kids from all different situations. But today, I think it's really great to take time to savor what God has done. To tell the stories. Like, you know, if you're a fisherman, it's, oh, remember the time we were fishing at such and such place? And, and you love talking about that stuff. Or if any of you are hunters or no hunters, you get the same story. Well, I was sitting there in a tree and this big buck, he was coming. You know, it takes probably longer sometimes to hear the story than it did for it to actually unfold in real life. But tonight, or not tonight, this morning, I wanted to take some time and just savor one aspect, one facet of the gospel. And that is the reconciliation that, uh, that God has, has wrought for us and so that he's, he's made available and provided. So I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 to 21. So it says, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed us to the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So reconciliation. What what does reconciliation really mean? And if we have accountants in the room, they have one concept of reconciliation, right? It's to make make this set of entries right with this set of entries, to bring two things into into harmony. If you look in the definitions in the you know, if you if you look on your phone and you look at, you know, 17 different def- dictionaries, the common theme is Basically, to make friendly again following an argument or disagreement or separation. Um, but I think for us to think about what reconciliation really is, it's important to consider what not reconciled looks like. Okay? So what, is, what does it look like to be not reconciled? I, I lost uh, a friend recently. He's the same age as me, 52, uh, died of cancer about two weeks ago. And for several years before that, he and his brother, even though they worked the same family business together, did not speak to one another, unless absolutely necessary for business, no speaking together. And it wasn't until about 
maybe a week and a half or two before he passed, that they were reconciled. That was, I looked at that, and it just, it was breaking my heart to look at that lack of reconciliation between two brothers running the same family business. Um, There was a a woman in uh, the office where I work. I work in New Brunswick, and from there you can see the Freedom Tower on a clear day. And I worked back there in uh, 2001 as well. So on 9-11, when the planes went through the tower, you could look out my window of my office, and you could see the smoke coming up off. You could see little towers and the smoke coming off it. And one of the admins in our area had a brother who she hadn't spoken with for seven years. They had been estranged, not, not by circumstance, but by tension. And she was, of, of course, understandably upset. Well, I, I skipped a really important fact. He worked there in the Trade Center. And so she was distressed. And as we were watching the events unfold, you know, we had a TV on because you're, you're looking out the window at the smoke coming up and you're watching on TV the helicopter pictures and whatever else it was they had going on there. And, um, and then the building collapsed. And she didn't know for sure if he was in there or not. It did turn out that he was in there. But that was not reconciled. Left this wor- he left this world with them not reconciled. Um, but when we look around, there's lots of situations. How many people, you can probably think of people who, you know, maybe it's one of those real heartache situations, or maybe it's just somebody, hey, you know, they, they rub you the wrong way and you just steer clear now, right? There's all kinds of situations not reconciled. But that's, that's all on the horizontal plane to give us a little image. When we look at the vertical in terms of us being reconciled to God, when you drive to work or ride the bus to school or go wherever you go in the community, you are going past thousands of people who are walking along, living their life, unreconciled to their Father in heaven. Right? Every, every day when I... If you watch a ball game and you see all you know, how many thousand people in the, uh, in the stadium, most of those people are just living their life, as in the days of Noah, you know, giving in marriage, all that kind of thing, um, unreconciled to God. And um, <clears throat> sometimes, you know, what, what brings that into focus for people? I mean, death is one. You know, when people are afraid of dying, all of a sudden they, they decide they better get reconciled with God or they better find out what is going on. Is there a God? Um, in other cases, it's just getting a picture of maybe what this God is really like. And so, now Isaiah, he, uh, you know, when he had his vision in, uh, in chapter 6, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read that. But it was a picture of the disparity. You know, sort of going back to the accountants, and they want the books to line up on this side with that side, and they reconcile the books. Um, <clears throat> reading from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 5, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds, trembled at the voice of him who called out 
while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, so this is Isaiah, this is a prophet of God. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. And then it goes on, you know, and and Isaiah sees the rest of this. But he saw a vision God gave him of who God really was and how much different he was than God, how, how inadequate he was. Woe is me, I'm ruined. Right? He, he didn't say, wow, that's pretty cool. You know? he, he said, woe is me, I'm ruined. Um, <clears throat> so I think that you know, a lot of times we look at things and we have our desires, but sometimes when we see how good something can be, we realize how far from that we really are. And, you know, we're going to talk a little bit. uh, We're going to read from Luke in a couple minutes here. Uh, But when we look at that, (coughs) excuse me, people had an expectation of something that was coming. They were looking for something good. And so I just want to run a little video clip here. Those of you who are my age will probably remember seeing this at a Super Bowl. It was one of the commercials. Um, but Ed, could you run that clip? Uh oh, no sound. Can we try and redo it with the to get the sound in? For some of the people under thirty who haven't seen this commercial, well, I'm not sure exactly what year it was in the '90s somewhere. Anyhow, this is. This is a, before, while they're figuring it out, this is a commercial that was played. This was sort of when the internet and the ability of businesses to advertise on the internet was just coming into being. And so this is a commercial. These guys are just launching their business. They're watching this screen. They're just basically, now we're open for business. And they're going to watch this screen and see what orders come in. Maybe. Three, two, one. We are officially open for business. <sighs> okay. <laughs> Facing a virtual reality? UPS can help you plan for it, manage it, and deal with it. We deliver more e-shipments than anyone. Okay, great, UPS. great. So... So I'm, I'm not really, uh, I'm indifferent to UPS or FedEx or anybody else. But the point, <laughs> the point here is they had this expectation of something really good happening. And all of a sudden they realized maybe just how unprepared they were for what really good could look like. So I want to read for us, uh, and this is really the, the thrust of, of what I wanted us to be thinking about today. Um, there's going to be two passages, but the first of them from Luke chapter 5, 1 to 9. It says, Now 
It came about that while the multitude were pressing around him and listening to the word of God, this is talking about Jesus, of course, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but at your bidding I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. Okay, so, so let's just look at the facts, okay? These guys, they were fishing all night, okay? It's morning, so they've been fishing all night. They've already taken their nets. They got seaweed, whatever, in them. And they're washing out their nets so that they can store them until the next night when they're going to go fishing again, presumably, right? I'm not an expert in that kind of fishing. but um, So that's, that's what happens. Jesus is teaching people, but they're pressing in against them, and he, he wants to be able to the people to be able to be heard. So he asks Simon, hey, can you push me out a little bit so I can talk to the, to the people from a little further out and they can hear me teach? Simon says, sure, yeah, we'll do that. He teaches for, I, we don't know how long. Was it 10 minutes? Was it two hours? We really don't know. We just know some period of time went by. Meanwhile, remember, these guys were fishing all night and now it's morning. And Jesus says, go ahead, go back out. Take your nice clean nets, because presumably these guys have still been cleaning the nets while Jesus is teaching. Take those nice clean nets, take them out, and let them down for a catch. Okay. These guys are fishermen. That's what they do. Jesus is a teacher. Now, they must have had some level of respect or expectation to do that, right? These guys are fishermen. Why didn't they just say, um, I don't think so. We just fished all night. The nets are clean. They're ready to be put away. Thanks for the thought, but we'll pass. No, they, they had some expectation that there was some good reason to do what Jesus said. He says, he says, hey, we fished all night, didn't catch anything, but at your bidding, we'll do that. Okay, so they take them out, they fish. Now comes the fish. Have, has, has anybody ever watched live somebody fishing with a net like that and bringing the net in and seeing the fish? Anybody, anybody ever watch that? It is the most cool thing. I, I love fishing. And if you go up to the Shad, uh, well, not the Shad Festival, but if you go up to Lambertville in Shad season, there's one family has a commercial fishing permit to net for Shad. So they, they bring the net out and they, they row it out on the one side and they walk down on the other side holding the, the net. And they start to bring it up on this concrete ramp. And you're waiting, and there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing. And they're bringing the net in, bringing the net in. And then finally, the net, just all of a sudden, as it's getting real tight, the water starts to boil. 
And it's all these fish in the net. And for a fisherman, it is really exciting to see all these fish. And so then they, they bring the fish in. Well, so that's what happened. These guys, they bring up their net, and there's so many fish that the net starts to break. Okay, this is a good thing, but maybe a little too much of a good thing. Then next thing, the boats, you know, guys, come on over. This is good news. We've got lots of fish. They're filling up the boats. The boats are starting to sink. Well, best I can read it here, Jesus is in the boat with them. Like it, it says, when they realize this, they fall at his feet, you know. So I'm thinking, here's Simon falling on a pile of fish at Jesus' feet, basically. <laughs> and I don't know, that's the way I picture it in my mind. But the important part is he just was blessed so much that he realized this, this is not just somebody who says, I thought I saw the birds flying over there, throw your net that way. This is somebody who's a whole different circumstance that he is totally unworthy to be in the presence of. Just like Isaiah. Isaiah said, you know, I'm ruined. Peter says, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. But Jesus reaches and says, no, Peter, no, we're, uh, you're going to come with me. Um, so, <clears throat> so we look at, at uh, Peter there. So um, the, the things I think that, that I note in that when we look at that picture are, one, they, they had some kind of an expectation that Jesus was somebody special. At least they were willing to go back out after fishing all night, right? Um, Two, he turned out way more special than they really realized. Just a whole different plane. And then three, that made Peter realize just how unworthy he really was. And then at that point, Jesus reached down and said, no, I want you with me. So, So that, to me, is a picture of what happened before... Christ died for us, okay? So there's a a really cool parallel passage. And if you haven't noticed it before, I think you'll enjoy seeing how parallel it is to this passage. So this is written by Luke through the Holy Spirit. This next passage, and I'll give you a minute to turn there if you want, is in John. And it's John chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. So now this is after Jesus gave himself up for us, after he bled and died for us, after he rose again, okay? After he demonstrated the power of God in coming back. And um, so I'm going to start reading there in chapter 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way. They were together, Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll also come with you. They went out and got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. So I don't know how often they catch nothing there if that was just 
Hey, a lot of times you catch nothing. But once again, like, like the last occasion that we're told about, they caught nothing. Um, so back to the passage. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the, be- on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus therefore said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? So he's, he's calling out to them, right? They're out in the boat. Um, they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll find a catch. They cast, therefore, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. That disciple, therefore, whom Jesus loved, who we we know to be John, um, said to Peter, It is the Lord. And so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards away, dragging the net full of fish. And when they got out upon land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid, and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, Who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus came and took the bread and gave them, and the fish likewise. So, <clears throat> so let's look at just kind of replay of the, the facts that happened this time around. Okay, so here they are. Jesus has um, already appeared to them since he raised, was raised again, because I think it says this was, oh, I'm sorry, I should have read the last verse. This was now the third time that Jesus was manifest to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So just reading this passage, you know he's already appeared to his disciples after the resurrection. And, <clears throat> excuse me, he, so it starts out, right? They're out in the boat. This time, at least they're not cleaning the nets already, right? And Jesus says, cast your nets over on that side, and you'll get a catch. So, for whatever reason, I don't know if this was, like, because they don't even know him this time. Maybe that was like a superstition of fishermen. You just, like, some guy on land tells you to do something, you try it. I, I don't really know why that would be, but, you know, maybe it was just the Lord moving these guys in their hearts. So they throw their nets on the other side. Once again, when the net comes up and starts boiling with fish, they realize, wow, there are so many fish, we can't even get the net into the boat. It's so full. It's got so much weight in it. And they're in a, it says in the little boat, right? They're in a small boat. We got so many fish, we can't do it. But notice, well, we'll come back to the comparison. But, so then John sees, I recognize this. This has happened before. It's the Lord. And Peter, he doesn't go running away. He doesn't say, go away from me. He just jumps overboard. He can't wait to get to the Lord. It's like he couldn't care less about fish or anything else. He wants to get to the Lord. So this is after the resurrection, okay? Um, so the, the others, <laughs> they're rowing the boat, dragging this big net full of fish, right? They get there. Jesus already has fish and bread cooking on the fire. He's got them there already. He's, he's got breakfast ready. But for some reason, he says to them, bring some of the fish you guys caught. So they do, and then... He gives them bread and fish, and they, they eat. Um, but it points out 
the net wasn't broken. There was no sinking of any boats. There was some man overboard, but there was no sinking of boats or anything going on this time. And each point of distress, think about that first time. I, I look at it and it's like the supernatural, God himself meeting the natural and the natural just can't handle it. The nets are breaking or are ripping. The boats are sinking. People are saying, go away. And now the contrast. Huge catch, no nets breaking, no boats sinking. I can't wait to get to Jesus, right? And then the other little piece of it that I think is really cool is at the end, Jesus tells them to bring the fish. Do you ever wonder why did Jesus tell them to bring fish? And first off, where does fish come from? I figure there's two possibilities for where they came from. Remember, these guys, they're not dropping a, a line with a hook over the side, and if the fish bite, they bite. If they don't bite, they don't. They're enclosing with a net. So if the fish are there, they're catching the fish. So either God sent those fish to be there. This is my surmise that doesn't say this. But either God sent those fish to be there, or he just made them there, just like he gave when he fed the 5,000, Right? He didn't send a bunch of fish jumping from the ocean into those baskets. He just created them right there and then. Who knows? Maybe that's what he did now. And clearly, he had a means to get fish himself because he had them on the fire already. But what did he do? He said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. Or in other words, bring some of the fish that I just gave you to catch. Right? That's, that's what he said to them. And this, to me... I look at the beginning as a picture of not reconciled. Cannot contain, does not belong together with the Lord. To this is the picture of, that's not the way it is now. That's not the way it is for those who believe. We do belong with the Lord. And not only do we belong, but he gives us stuff to do to contribute to the work he's doing. Right? That's what that, that picture of the fish says to me. So, so let's just rewind back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He gave us this ministry of reconciliation. Right? Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So for all you guys in the blue shirts, You, when you are in those Bible clubs um, and you are serving those children, that's what it's about. It's about, hey, remember the time God did this for me. Remember how God loved me so much that he made me okay to stand right before him, before the living God of the universe, that I don't have to say, go away, I'm a sinner. But instead, I can say, thank you for saving me a sinner. That's what he gave us. 
That's what you guys have to share. And I think that the other side of that that we have to remember is it's not just what he gave us with himself, but just in the same way that he calls us to be one together. There's a lot of hurt, a lot of heartache because we live in a broken world. We're in a sinful world where we sin and the people around us sin. And we have a lot of broken relationships. And we have a lot of situations where this one's angry with this one. This one doesn't talk to that one. And hearts are aching. And I'm quite sure that God's heart hurts over that as well. And the ministry of reconciliation that we're told about here is about reconciling God's children to himself. But it's pretty hard for us to be a good messenger of that if we don't do what we can to be reconciled to our brothers and sisters here. He tells us real clearly to love one another, to bear with one another, all those things. So, so I would just say this morning, as you consider this just great, great gospel that we have, that you would also consider doing whatever you can to be reconciled to your brothers and sisters right here where people are estranged. You may be doing everything you can, and that's all that God calls you to do is do what you can. But do that. Do what you can to be reconciled to your brothers and sisters. Um, So I'd like to just close with a, a word of prayer. Our Father, you are so good, and your gospel is such a wonderful thing for us to remember. Just to savor, to savor how you love us, how you make us okay to stand before you. Lord, just by trusting you, that we can be yours, and that we don't have to be in disgrace before you. We can be before you as your beloved children. Lord, please... Help us to be your ambassadors. Help each of these in the CEF group to be bearers of your gospel in a way that people will understand that as they plead with you to be reconciled or as they plead with those kids to be reconciled with you, that they would hear your voice, that they would see your heart calling them and that they would turn and that they would trust in you for their salvation. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name.